This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. Always delighted to talk to our next guest, of course, uh, our lead Broncos reporter, Cody Rourke. Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle. And Cody, thank you for joining us. Uh, the Broncos are now ready for their first preseason uh, appearance. I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you this to start out. While there is no doubt that the Broncos offense has looked crisper, it has looked like it's settling in, how do you split it out and parse it out with the fact that significant members of the Broncos secondary have also missed those practices in which the offense seems to be looking so much better. Uh, I don't read anything into it at all, to be honest with you, because the day that the Broncos offense, the first two days they got going, Justin Simmons was out there. He was a full participant. And then the last couple of days, obviously he's not been out there, but there's still Patrick Sertan. There's still Damari Mathis, Kwan Williams, some other guys, and obviously your pass rush is there, your linebackers are there. So, yeah, to be honest with you, I don't read much into it. I don't think there's any correlation between those things. What the offense is doing has, hasn't necessarily been to counteract what a safety has been doing, but more so they've just been focusing on getting the ball, getting the snap going, communication pre-snap, communication during snap between the offensive line. And for Russell Wilson, he's getting the ball out of his hands quicker. So, that, that's my, honestly the biggest thing I'm taking away from it is that the offense has been just crisper. There's not a lot of holding on to the football. It's getting it out quickly. And obviously there's times where there's good coverage by the secondary. Russ is scrambling to try to open things up a little bit. Everything that Sean Payton said he was going to do with Russell Wilson before he was even the head coach, he's now doing that. We're seeing that stuff right now on display of practice. It's a good sign for him. How much is Mike? McGlinchey's absence, presumably for the rest of the preseason, going to affect the development of the offensive line and specifically their ability to pass protect for Russell Wilson? Yeah, this is a great question. I mean, obviously McGlinchey was a key offseason acquisition for them. He missed the first few days of training camp due to a personal matter. When he came back, he was kind of shaky, a little bit rusty. Uh, and then obviously now this injury is going to hold him out of action. I'm very curious to see how that impacts him when he does come back. I will say in today's practice, uh, even though that they released their first unofficial depth chart, on the depth chart it said that uh, Cam Fleming was the guy behind Garrett Bowles and Mike McGlinchey. Well, it wasn't Cam Fleming getting involved today. It was Isaiah Prince who is competing for a roster spot, and he actually held his own today at right tackle. I thought he did a very solid job in the Broncos' third down period and their team periods that they had there. and uh, Yeah, I mean, you want your starting guys out there, but this is also a great opportunity now here in the preseason to see what you have in the backup guys that could be behind them if, in fact, another injury does pop up. You want to be sure that, hey, this guy can play with this unit. And to put it nicely, uh, Cam Fleming hasn't exactly been a pleasant surprise in camp so far. Yeah. no, I mean, To put it mildly. Yeah, I would say for Cam, I think he spent the first week or so of camp really just getting back into football shape. So I think the first few days he wasn't even dressed out, and then he's been dressed out as of late. He's been rotating in, but I think the biggest benefit you're going to get from him is, you know, hey, he started 15 games for you last season, and maybe maybe that'll help. But I think for him, he's still trying to get into football shape at this point. So. That, I think, is something to keep an eye on. And I imagine he's going to play quite a bit this upcoming Friday against the Cardinals. When you look.
look at some of the uh, the other parts of the depth chart that came out. Uh, you you were uh, on earlier and, and and talked about it. You know, you can follow Cody at Cody Work NFL. All the video stuff he's putting together well, and you, you brought it up. It's not a a huge surprise. We really didn't find any surprises on there. I think some people were surprised that Albert Okawebanon was so low. We certainly weren't. The one that I think is interesting is the fact that even though we haven't had a chance to see him do it a lot, the first, uh, the, maybe the biggest surprise to me, is that Marvin Mims is listed as the number one kick returner and punt returner over Montreal, Washington. We know that Mims had the uh, injury he was fighting to get over in the offseason, and uh, obviously he's a rookie, but that seems to be telling to me. In other words, it, if I'm not reading it right, it seems to be Mims' job to lose. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to go. I mean, to be honest, Sean gave us a great answer today at the podium. He says, you know, I have to put together a depth chart. I have to give it to you guys. But he says it's written in pencil. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, we're, we're playing a game early on the Lockdown Broncos podcast earlier. We were talking about two truths and a lie or two lies and a truth. You know, where is the truth in the, the depth chart there? I think really you look at it. I think the return thing is a little bit fluid there between primarily Marvin Mims and Montreal, Washington. It's really been between those two guys getting a lion's share during practice. Uh, and then, you know, obviously you have your, your specialist, like your punter and your holder and your long snapper. Those guys are set. Well, there's a kicking competition ongoing. Uh, to be honest with you, it's Sean Payton, in my opinion. I don't think this reveals really where the depth chart is truly at. This is just, hey, this is what I threw together. Um, they, I, and like I said, I've been telling fans, I'm not reading too much into it because with Troutman at – the, the tight end position specifically, Trotman's listed as the first guy there. You can make the argument for that for sure. But these guys, every single tight end on this roster has rotated in with the first, second, and third team units. So I don't even think that's like a set order. It's just, hey, these are the guys that we have at the position right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I always think that the depth chart, until the official one for the regular season comes out, any ones that we see now aren't going to matter as much. But here's what we know. Marvin Mims is going to make the team. Yeah. We don't know that about Montreal, Washington. And no, Montreal. we have a very good idea that Albert O is going to be nowhere in sight. I mean, they only do one cut down, so it's not like it progresses in stages as it has in the past. But there's no way Albert O makes the active roster of 53. He isn't Peyton's guy. He, he, he's, uh, he's not even George Peyton's guy. Right? Yeah, no. I'm not sure how it's going to go, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I think you can look at it from that standpoint, too. Albert O's probably, when you look at it on paper, is the odd man out. But I think so much is going to be contingent upon the preseason for him. Like, in my opinion, he has to have a really good preseason in order to solidify a chance to make it back onto the roster. Because, yeah, you do have these guys coming in. Man Hurts is a lock. Dulcich is a lock. I'd estimate that Troutman is a lock. There's three guys there. How many guys does Sean Payton plan on keeping? You know, Tommy Hudson's had a pretty solid camp so far. Nate Atkins, the undrafted guy, had a solid camp. But you may get some of these guys back on the practice squad more so than you can on the active roster. I'm very curious to see how it all play out. Looking at the, the maybe one of the few spots that I think there is a legitimate competition in, and it sounds a little weird, but we know that Javante Williams, when healthy, is, is, is going to make the team. We know that Samaji P. Ryan is going to make the team. It is that third halfback role. And we talk about Jillian McLaughlin, but to me, I, it seems likely that McLaughlin is at, targeted for the practice squad, and if any other team would have wanted him, uh, they would have been able to sign him. It, it appears between uh, Tyler Beatty and Tony Jones Jr. Uh, Jones, with a, Jones with a little bigger size, a little more experience, but 
But to Purdue News 2, what do you think the difference has been and what do you think Sean Payton's looking for given that depth? And ordinarily, maybe the third, we're not talking about it, but uh, until we see Javante Williams be able to return in a game and play healthy, uh, you're still concerned about that guy. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm very curious to see how this one plays out. Joe Lombardi gave us some good insight on specifically Beatty and McLaughlin yesterday uh, about what he likes about them, how explosive they are. He even brought up what I've been saying since the get-go. It seems like every day Jalil is having a massive run that he breaks open with nobody near him. He did the same exact thing here today. Um, I think a lot of it's going to boil down to, you know, do they continue to do things they've done in practice? Do they hit the hole? Do they follow their blockers? In certain pass protection situations, how do they hold up? Like these things are all going to be tested on Friday night. Uh, and, and in my opinion, I, I don't know how it's going to play out for them, but I'm very curious. Beatty looks big and explosive, plays physical. Jaleel's a little bit undersized, but he plays physical. He's super explosive. Uh, I think regardless, Denver's in good hands with either of these two guys, but it may boil down to if these guys play in the preseason, how they've been going out and looking in practice. Denver's going to have to figure out which player has the better chance of making it back onto the practice squad. And if Jaleel is having an explosive preseason, there may not be an opportunity for that to happen to him. Beatty's a guy who, you know, may not have that happen for him as well. So it is very interesting. And there's Tony Jones Jr. as well, who's got the former ties to Peyton. These three guys are all in the mix, but I really feel like it's between those two if Denver does truly carry three backs on the roster, which I do think they are going to do. How curious are you to see whether Nick Benito performs as well on Friday night in an actual game or at least an organized affair uh, in relation to how he's performed in the practice field? Yeah, very, very, very curious. Um, He's had a terrific training camp. He and Jonathan Cooper. I mean, these guys, as, as Sean Payton said, I mean, all the edge rushers have been rotating out the first team, second team, and third team as well. You've seen some good looks for a lot of the younger guys there and obviously for some of those second and third offensive units who have to block those guys, it's been a good challenge and a good test for them. I ultimately think that Benito, I think he will have, I think it will transition. I think it will carry over because when I watched this guy last year, you know, I was just waiting for something. I was waiting to see something that shows me that this guy is ready to step into a role. I didn't see that last year. This year I see an entirely different player. I see a player who has, demonstratedly more confidence in himself and what he's able to do. And I think that Vance Joseph is also eager to unleash him a little bit as well. In my opinion, he's the guy that I do think people should watch for because if he does come out in the preseason, does play at a high level, I think that Denver's ideally on paper, I think they're in a better spot at edge rusher than we thought initially coming into camp. So that is definitely something to monitor. We're talking to Cody Rourke of Mile High Sports, and uh, there's been a little discussion about the field conditions in Arizona. Obviously, they've had challenges with that. Uh, They had challenges at the Super Bowl. It still appears to be problematic, as Sean Payton said today, the Cardinals practice on it. And and, uh, Do you think that will have any impact, even though Payton said that it wouldn't matter who was on the field? uh, Given the fact that there are injuries to significant players, might it shorten the amount of time that the, the starters end up on the field? Um, You know, I think it depends. That's, that's a hard question to ask. Like for me, I looked at, I shared a clip on social media today. That field looks awful. And unless they plan cha- plan on changing the field out for this game, like if I'm Sean Payton, he even said that he's going to, they'll look at it pregame. But he himself said that, you know, even if the field is, it's not going to change what his plan was in terms of playing the starters. But I, we still don't know yet if Javante is going to play in this game. There's a chance that he doesn't. And we see him next week instead. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> 
that's a that's a tough question to answer. But like for me, I'd hope that the NFL sees this and says like, hey, like this is a this is a player safety issue. You need to make sure that the field conditions are always good. And if I'm not mistaken, the Cardinals lost a couple of guys. They lost Marlon Mack yesterday to a torn Achilles on that field. They lost a couple of guys the day before, I think, to an ACL. So they need to figure it out because if I'm Sean Payton, you've already lost a couple of guys to lower extremity injuries. If the field is slippery in a sense that you can't have your footing underneath you when you go to plant and make your cuts, yeah, I would I would throw a big fit about it. I'd throw a gripe about it because it's you can't have that. It's 2023. We're still having issues where the fields just aren't up to playing standard. That's ridiculous in my opinion. Well, of course it is, and it's been a bad field for many years, and I, I wonder where the union is on this. As usual with the NFL Players Association, unions know where to be found on uh, stuff like this. They, they, I, I mean, I think they're almost as culpable as uh, uh, the owners and, and the league is uh, in, the, in that regard. The, the, the union doesn't say anything about fields that are unsafe. And we were talking earlier uh, if ice surfaces were like this in the National Hockey League, basketball courts in the NBA, uh, fields in Major League Baseball, uh, there'd be a hue and cry and the talk of those sports being Bush League. and everything. The NFL gets away with anything, including bad fields. NFL just gets a pass on everything because you can't criticize the NFL. Anyway, when it comes to place kicking, any sense of uh, uh, whether Marr or Fry has the upper hand? We were saying earlier that and we're going on assumption here, and you can correct us if we're wrong, obviously, uh, that it's sort of Mars' job to lose. If he doesn't have the yips, he's the kicker. If he continues to have the yips, as he did in the postseason last year, maybe Fry has a chance to become the kicker. Yeah, I, I'd say right now, if I talk about, I mean, both guys I think have had a really terrific training camp from the charted kicks. And, you know, ben Cotton could even told us about this yesterday when he met with the media. Uh, Maher obviously has the bigger leg, the stronger leg, the more powerful leg that I think you do need at altitude. And if he comes out in the preseason, I don't, I don't know what their rotation is going to be like first, who's going to get the first kick, but I, I think they're going to rotate guys in on extra points. They're also going to rotate them in on field goal attempts as those things come up here. And yeah, I say basically this might go all the way through three games or it could be decided in two games here. You know, if, uh, Maher comes in, nails his field goals and his extra points, and let's say Fry misses one or two, that could put the nail in the coffin on the competition. But uh, those guys have been neck and neck. I've been impressed because I think the biggest thing or the biggest area of concern we had coming into training camp with Elliot Fry, he just doesn't have a lot of regular season experience. He doesn't have much experience at all from 50-plus. And Maher is a guy who's got a ton of experience being efficient there. And, and as you know, kicking Denver – you're going to have to kick some 50-yard field goals at times. You need to be able to do that, and I think that we've seen that here in camp, but it's different when you have a, an opposing defense that's rushing you, trying to block your kick. That's me. I think I'm excited to see how that element changes things up between these two guys during the preseason. He is Cody Rourke. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL. Check out everything he's doing over at My Life Sports, uh, the, the writing, the video content, the podcast, uh, you name it. He's got the Broncos covered as well as anyone in town. And you can grab all of it, by the way, if you just get the free Milo Sports app. All of it will be in your pocket and on demand. Cody, appreciate it. Looking forward to this uh, game and, and getting actually some football-alike <laughs> pads on and hitting a little bit to get an idea of where this is going instead of all the practices. So thanks for all the insight. Absolutely. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Cody Rowe, joining us from Mile High Sports. And uh, uh, I, th- I think he's right about the kicking competition for sure because the, the nice thing about it is – 
let's be honest. Kickers are extremely important. I'm one of the guys that actually thinks they're undervalued. But if you're not 100% sure you have the guy and you keep cycling through, it's okay to cycle through them until you find one. That's quite frankly how the Broncos found Brandon McManus. They, they, they didn't draft him. They brought him in after he bounced well, They brought around. him in. They cut him. Right. And so and then uh, they brought him back. And speaking of. Or kickoff. Riley Dixon back, yeah. by the way, as much right. as the Broncos did actually draft and now yes. is back. But I, I think it's okay to let this kicking competition go to the very end because uh, the, the process at least is similar enough that even if you have to change a kicker late, uh, it's you can live with it. McManus will be a pretty tough act to follow. I know last yeah. year was not his best year. Uh, and I think the opening night snafu with the 64-yard yeah, field goal attempt in, in, in Seattle, stadium. I, I, I think that messed him up uh, and it psychologically, and he and Hackett never got along, and uh, I don't think he had much use for the special teams uh, coordinator last year, and I, I never figured out exactly what happened there because I kind of liked the special teams coach. I thought he was a little different from his predecessors, but... Again, last year, the special teams unit was largely a disaster area, and McManus had the kind of year when you're in your 30s that you probably can't afford to have, especially for a bad football team that is looking to change out just about everything and everyone. For the uh, idea of football team changing everything out, of course, uh, the CU Buffaloes have done that up in Boulder with Deion Sanders. Sanders turns 56 today. The difference of the bus now and a year ago stark some of the numbers even though he hasn't coached a game are in and it's pretty uh, insightful we'll take a look at those next on miley sport Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Uh, yeah, Rock Hump Day. It's Wednesday. You're most away to the weekend already. We to go back to back on a lot of one-hit wonders. Robbie Dupree on the last one. Uh, Rupert Holmes, I think, on this one. That's right. The way it goes. Today is Deion Sanders' 56th birthday. So, uh, one, happy birthday, coach. But... When you take a look at the difference, and we've, we've talked about this. I've, you know, I've mentioned it on air. I've mentioned it off air to people left and right. The Deion Sanders hiring has been a tremendous success, and he hasn't coached a game. Even if it turns out to not be a success in the football field, over the with a blip with Mike McIntyre, over the last couple of decades, CU's football has slid into being essentially irrelevant. They're an afterthought, even though they are one of the teams that can say that they the programs that has won a championship. They have become an afterthought. They are no longer an afterthought. Now, whether this is sustainable or not, we shall see. You know, whether Deion Sanders stays for how long he stays, if it works, we shall see. We know that Sean Lewis quit his job as the head coach over at Kent State to become the offensive coordinator. Potentially, I guess, if Deion were to move on, maybe he looks at that role as being something he could fit in. But what Sanders has done has turned a program from being irrelevant to relevant. It has to win to stay that way. But it's interesting. And the hardest part sometimes is getting off the ground. And when you look at the merchandising in in the world, Sean Kilo Dever Post uh, did some of the research on it, but over at Fanatics.com, which is the commerce partner for every league now, it seems like, uh, right now the Buffs are number two among the Pac-12. The Pac-12 as it exists this year. Obviously, this is the last year, whatever you call it, the Pac-12. But they were number two 
in merchandise. And compared to last year, they're up more than 100%. Remember, Sanders can make $29.5 million in his five-year deal. It can be up to 40, especially 30, and it can be up to 40 with incentives over five years. When you just think of the PR alone, and let's go all the way back to when he started, with the national championship game, all the way back in January. Deion Sanders is head-to-toe in Buffs gear on the pregame show, on the field, with the announcing team. You couldn't have purchased that spot with any amount of marketing money. It, it has been sort of the walking, talking ad revenue that Sanders has brought Boulder that I, I think, quite frankly, exceeds $29.5 million already. Wow. It's way over uh, that figure, as CU knew it would be when they made the hire. And the first step is gaining back uh, whatever they had lost over the last, eh, well, almost 20 years. Yeah. Uh, when it simply comes to notoriety. Now, that doesn't mean that. They'll win a lot of games, especially this first year. But you talked about it early on in the season. They will be featured the first two weeks on Fox, I believe, yep. uh, at TCU. Well, certainly will. And with respect to their home opener against Nebraska. And depending on how well they do, I could see uh, later in the year uh, the Buffs being featured again sure that there'll be other games on on the schedule especially with the way the pac-12 sets up this year it's a pretty good football conference having nothing to do with uh, all of the problems and the uh, threat of the pac-12 being entirely dissolved it's good football league this year it may be the last year of the big uh, of the pac-12 as we know it but it's a good football league and CU, at least initially, will be accorded attention normally reserved for a national championship contender. Here's what Sean Keeler wrote today in the Post, talking about the concept of the, the front porch, which is a you know marketing idea. So the front porch concept is the idea that football is the most influential forward-facing public relations arm of not just the athletic department, but as the university as a whole. Combine that with adding Sanders as the new face of Buff Athletics, and suddenly the sight of a rampaging Ralphie in black and gold has zoomed from a quaint regional image of a 1-11 football program to one of the hottest brands in American sports. And that's really what it has been and what it has become. And when you talk about the idea of season tickets being sold, when you talk about uh, the idea of the, the publicity that will be brought by the first two games being on Fox, you point out, for TCU and, and Nebraska, the the gamble was the right gamble. And and the other part that may end up paying even more dividends, even if they're halfway decent, is Sanders' fame brings attention, brings eyeballs. With eyeballs is more attention to your players, and that's where name image likeness comes in. If getting to Colorado not only shows that you're getting a, a program that's good and competitive and on the rise, and you're coached by one of the you know more interesting coaches in the league, but also will bring you personal revenue in name, image, and likeness, recruiting then becomes infinitely easier. It, it becomes a feedback loop that lets Colorado actually become a regular top 25 program again 
if everything works but out. But it would right. be dishonest to say anything except this. As of right now, they haven't overwhelmed anybody with their recruiting. No, no. the recruiting has not been uh, considered all that remarkable. They're so connected to a lot of top the recruits, kids but they haven't are smart yet. enough to say, "I want to see if they win." They're going to wait and see what the program. I think you're right. Okay. And yeah, it's great that uh, I'll get attention there, and I'll be on TV a little bit more than uh, a team that went one and eleven uh, a year or two back. Depending on the recruit we're talking about, it, it, you wouldn't expect a program like that to be on TV. I mean, Kentucky has had a couple of ten-win seasons, I think, within the last five years, and they're never on TV. <laughs> you, don't see, you don't see Kentucky featured. They, they're a middle, at best, a middle of the pack Eastern Division team in the SEC, at best. I mean, there are at least three programs that are ahead of them, and they've won. It, it, what CU has done once in the last, what, 17 yeah. years, they've done twice within five years, and they're not relevant at all. And they've got a coach, Mark Stoops, who's at least got a famous name and has actually done one of the better coaching jobs in America, I think, since taking over at Kentucky. They're not getting noticed. But when it comes to recruiting, you're going to have to win. You're going to have to win games. Yes. And, you know, yeah. You're right. The, the coach is charismatic, and that's great. And the coach will certainly, if you perform, uh, he will highlight your performances in a way that few coaches can. But they've, they've got to win. And I'm not saying they got to win eight to ten games this year. That's but good because they won't. For the recruiting to go well – they have to be relevant and competitive. And if they lose games by seven to 10 points when they're 20 point underdogs, I, I look at the TCU game right. as the first example on September 2nd. They're a 20 plus point underdog. If they can stay within seven to 10 points within two touchdowns, mm-hmm. of a team I would that submit played in the national of a team yeah. that played for the national championship. Now they got killed. And they won't be nearly as good this year, but they're top twenty team. Mm-hmm. And if CU stays within two touchdowns of that team on that team's home field, then I think it augurs well for the remainder of the season against top class competition, especially up in Boulder. They'll be able to stay in games. Now, how many they'll win? I suspect it'll be four or five. I think they'll go over three and a half. But getting to six will require, I think, they're winning every single game that they're kind of sort of supposed to win and finding a way to steal at least one that they're not supposed to win. And it, it is going to have to get there to get to a bowl. Now, I think if they get to the bowl, you have extraordinary success. But the numbers are what they are. Uh, Nebraska and Stanford's games are completely sold out. There are fewer than 3,500 tickets left for uh, the home games with uh, Southern Cal. And with Colorado State, and well, I think they'll sell out uh, USC for sure. Yeah, and I suspect if Colorado State isn't a sellout, it'll be very, very uh, yeah, it'd close. be very close. But I mean, four, that, I think so too. So even especially about, if they beat Nebraska, four sellouts. I mean that that's that's a big jump from when you're talking about 
the buffs of late. I mean, you know, you've been up there. I've been up there. That's, there's a, you can have occasionally by the end of the season, a, a section to yourself. And then that's not going to happen this year. I, I've been up there in the press box. I've been up there in the stands. And yes, you, there's sections cordoned off. For that's not going to happen anymore. to buy tickets. Now, the question is how much, how quickly do you have to win to make it work? And, and the other part of the. You don't have to win big. Right. But you have to win and be competitive. You have to show that, you that it's been turned around. It's been turned you have around. to win the games you're supposed to win, and I know there aren't a lot of them on the schedule this year, but you those games, I mean, you can't lose to CSU. Right. And you can't lose to Stanford, right? No. I, I mean, there, there are even conference games that you just cannot lose. Now, if you pick up a road win or two in conference, so much the better. If, if you happen to win in a – place you're not supposed to win i i if if, if they could some if, if they open with a win over tcu i don't care how oh, it looks things will yeah well it's on <laughs> and if you follow with a win against nebraska then it's then it's going they'll have plenty of attention for the rest of the month i promise you the home dates of course we pointed out nebraska and though. colorado state in september uh they will also close out the month with southern cal and then stanford in october those are the four openers to be pointed out more Two of them sold out, the other two likely. And then the last two home games uh, back-to-back on Saturday, November 4th against Oregon State, and then the next on the 11th at Arizona, which will go hey, with the them. the Broncos are favored, according to ESPN. Yeah, no, they're using one of the, I don't know if it's BetMGM or wh- whoever right. it is, to establish these preliminary lines. We talked about that earlier. They're favored to win nine out of the 16 games that are right now being yeah, as it stands today. listed. Uh, there's no line on the last one with the Raiders in January of 24, but hope springs eternal. It, it does August. feel like the 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 buffs are. I, I do think that the three and a half with our friends at at, at Superbook and and other other places as well. To me, that that under seems low. I do think this team has enough talent to to get better than that. It will be interesting. There is a question that was posed if they can to get to five today, wins and then it's what, November. What will happen if they do only win three games? And, you know, we'll consider that uh, if and when that comes about. Um, I'm not sure. It, it, I mean, it depends. I, I This sounds like a cop-out. depends on which three games they win. Right, it does. It uh, does. It, it, depends it on, sort yeah. of depends on which three they win. If it, it, if it's CSU, Stanford, and Arizona State, no, it's not going to impress a lot of people. But if one of those wins is a win like Dan Hawkins got against Oklahoma, Right. His, what, second, third year? Was it 08? I think the second would have year, been yeah. Thir- or no, third year, third year. You're right, third year. And it's it's a win, and, and it could, it might have been the second. I can't remember. It was 07, 08. I think you're right. But, but that was the first signature win. Mm-hmm. They won a game they weren't supposed to win. And they also beat West Virginia in a night game up there that I remember got them some attention probably well, more get, than was get some looks. at the time but it got him some looks five games so, are on national television yeah. already yep. five yeah, well that's what i'm saying win and some if, of those if you're two and three in those mm-hmm. national games i'm telling you I, you know and you win a couple more games that's okay you won't play in a bowl game but that's okay 
It will be a, a fascinating season. Better than the Broncos did last year when they were featured on national TV. Oh, that's certainly Early true. and often. Yeah, it is early in this one, too. The first three will be on national TV, two on Fox and ESPN, and then later as they wait and out to find out how things go. But we will continue to monitor the situation in Boulder as well. Less than a month until that game at TCU. Sandy, uh, you'll be at that one. So we'll have to uh, I will uh, be there. You up as our, will, our man on the scene. Uh, that is, of course, you can hear it, the sound of football coming back. Now's the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook's the most trusted name in Vegas. And now you can use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with that promo code MILEHIGH. So don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and the promo code MILEHIGH. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy, there is a, uh, in Denver, in the municipalities, there is a, a sports battle brewing. It is an interesting one, a legacy sport, a new sport, fighting over the same spots. And you, my friend, are the one who's played them both. So we'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Now, the Denver Broncos uh, get going on Friday. As we've talked about that uh, the program, but uh, Sandy, coming back from his uh, break, tried a new sport while he was away a couple days uh, last week. And now, apparently, a battle is raging in municipalities around Colorado, the war between tennis and pickleball. I have never played pickleball. I don't know what the rules are. It kind of looks like mini tennis. Uh, I'm not clear on all the rules myself. But so don't feel bad. there are, uh, in Glendale in particular, Yeah, there is a, a war over the <laughs> idea of maybe, uh, you know, uh, people are either putting tape down or painting lots so you can put a pickleball court on a tennis court. There is an overlap. That's an issue. Uh, no more of a luminary than Martina Navratilova talking about this yeah. across uh, the entire landscape. Pointed out that if if uh, pickleball is so popular, you can make your own courts. Um, right. right. Who would have thought, all of a sudden, that you know tennis, which has been around for centuries, and now pickleball, which you know apparently was loosely invented in the '60s, but I mean just taken off in the last you know decade or so. Well, yeah, and and they were- say it's a it's a mashup between tennis and ping pong, and in some ways it is. I I, I look at it as more of a mashup uh, between paddle tennis and ping pong. Actually, I I and that's part of what of the problem tennis. is is the sound apparently. But but the sound is a major problem. I mean, even the New York Times wrote a piece about because I don't even know it's, it's, a, it's a, like a plastic racket well, and yeah, a plastic yeah, ball yes, or something yes. to that extent. And it, it it does kind of an annoying sound. Got, and it's it. It's basically a doubles game, right? Right, so right. It, For everything I've seen, yeah. The sound is constant. And if you have, let's say, four tennis courts and pickleball is being played on all four, it's going to make a tremendous racket, much more <laughs> so than, intended. Than, than, than tennis does. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make more noise. If, if you have a home nearby, I, I can understand the feeling. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with Martina on this one uh, that 
you know, the, the you you have tennis courts built, built. And the idea is what you, you can courts. you can They're put much two on, smaller. It's basically you can put two in the f- same footprint as a tennis court, roughly. Uh, I don't know if if two would fit, but well, well, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about both sides, yeah. And then uh, you're gonna have two pickleball courts, one on one side and one on the other. But I, I can see if I'm playing tennis, it's very distracting even to have those. Uh, you know, temporary lines right. painted on right. to a cement court. It'd be distracting. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, yeah, uh, tennis, I, I, the, the yeah. sport, the ball's moving too fast. You, I, can, you can't I, judge what I line like it. I, I think it's great, especially for senior citizens. There's a reason that even in the tennis boom, more people play doubles and singles. This is less running. Right. And, and older people can play it. Tennis that was always golf's advantage. Murder that on you your could knees. play golf right. into your eighties and even nineties and, 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 and still enjoy it. Tennis, in terms of singles, almost impossible. But when you get to doubles and you don't have to move as much and it's more a game of angles than it is of power, it's a finesse game, angles game, uh, th- then, yes, you, you can play it. And, and pickleball makes it even easier because there's even less running. It's a smaller court. And if you know what you're doing and aren't going pell- pell-mell after every ball, which – I did, of course. Uh, right. And yeah. I didn't have the right shoes either. So, uh, you know, I fell down once playing for a couple hours the other day. But n- no, I, I, I'd much prefer it. Now, in, in, in places, I was playing in Ludlow, Vermont, South Central Vermont. And I, I've been going there for years. My sister has a summer home that she rents out the rest of the year. I've never seen anybody play tennis on the tennis courts. And now pickleballs, right? And that's the thing over. too. And, and look, I'm a, I'm a tennis fan too. I played tennis all through and I played high the, school. Other day with a guy who was a younger guy, but obviously I could tell by the way he played. He's a tennis player. I have and had a pickleball player. so many shoulder surgeries. I, I can't serve but correctly. You can play pickleball because you serve I, underhand, right? You could serve underhand. Yep. And uh, and the, the knees are you know bone on bone now and playing on a tennis court it's it's taxing it's hard it's and hard it, it's hard it's to hard. do so, so i get why it takes you can play pickleball and the idea i think of people uh more people getting out and doing things yes great oh, it's great good it, it's great please do that but build the courts build the courts for pickleball and 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 leave the tennis i knew it was going to be a big deal because out at the super bowl in in arizona uh, walking around in the big uh, NFL experience, which is where right. a lot of the fans go and everything. Right. You know, the, you, you run little 40 yards and all, all the fun stuff, right? There were pickleball courts. Oh, yeah. I, I, who was bringing their pickleball rackets and pickleballs? Do they call it a pickleball? Is it just a ball? I mean, it's, it's got a big quip of one. Okay. So, but I mean, who's bringing that to the NFL experience? You're going to the Super Bowl, you're going to go to the convention center, and you're bringing your old ball gear in case there's a court. And then the funny thing is there actually was. So, I mean, obviously it's uh, it, it's on the rise, but it's fascinating that at a certain point now, municipalities and parkland and everything, it's uh, the, there's becoming a, an actual fight over it. Some uh, good stories uh, both in, in Nine News today and the Denver Post about arguments in uh, the localities about how to better use their space. And people want to use a tennis court, but, you know, you mark up a, a tennis court for pickleball and it becomes very hard to actually play tennis because of the speed of the ball well, and here's the other thing they, they don't overlap well it's not like you can put a, a line like a college three-pointer and a pro three-pointer on a basketball court it doesn't work like that no and uh, you know tennis players will show up 
in some of these places as I read this piece. And everybody's playing pickleball, and they play forever. Uh, I grew up playing tennis. You had to sign up for a court. You got right. an hour. We got an hour. Right. And I guess uh, if you're not running that long, you're not that tired, so you can just go and go and go. I, mean, I, I can understand if nobody else shows up, I can stay on same as you would for tennis as long as you want. But if other people show up, it's kind of etiquette that you get one hour. Right. And it seems to me. And the pickleball people don't always practice that etiquette when a tennis player shows up. Because it's, it's like play somewhere else. Yeah, because we're, we're, we're on this we're, one. We're on this one. And uh, I, I think one of the uh, uh, the program managers for uh, uh, the city of Glendale was, was talking about uh, tennis players have been regularly rebuffed at the courts at the southeast corner of East Kentucky Avenue and South Birch Street. They walk over, and it's all pickleball. Pickleball takes it over all day. Coexistence wasn't there. Some people don't seem to get etiquette. They well, just and stay on the court. And I, some of it, I mean, it's a, maybe and a difference in the sport, six, right? Six, six people sign up, and they just rotate, yeah. which is fine, but it it really should be one hour. If, if And listen, it, 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 the, the, the net for pickleball, it's portable. You, you, oh, okay. You wrap okay. it up. You break up the support like apparatus, and you put it in a long bag and come badminton pack it away along with the awesome. with the uh, whipple balls. Hmm. It's just interesting to see. I mean, look, it's 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 actually great to see uh, Americans. Let's face it. You know, we know as as a country, we need to kind of get out and do more things. We all need to get in a little better shape. My myself included, and get out and exercise and. It's great to see that there is a sport that's doing it. Kind of amazing to see in, in Colorado, of course, a more active than usual sport and community that uh, it's become such a thing that now, of course, you have to start involving the government in it. Kind of fascinating to, to see how that breaks down. Check out a lot of the post. Uh, Channel 9 is something about it, too. It's uh, pretty interesting that the, uh, the, the the pickleball craze has reached a point where maybe it's no longer a craze and you got to start thinking about it in a more permanent basis. Oh, I think you do, but... As Martinez says, build, build the courts. Build courts. Build, build courts. courts for it. Supply and demand. There's great demand. So build the courts. Congratulations Leave to the tennis uh, courts alone. in, in uh, baseball, by the way. Congratulations to Miguel Cabrera, who's playing in a, a day game today. Cabrera in his 21st season. Uh, still hitting 255 this year with Detroit at the age of 40. Uh, gets two hits today. Those two hits, the, the first one tied him for... 20th on the all-time list with Tony Gwynn at 3,141. He came up in the next, uh, in the third inning, got another one, which then bounces him uh, past Gwynn and then past uh, Robin Yount. So he's already at, um, he's already at 3,143 today. And then next up, uh, Paul Wehner at 3,152. But Cabrera's career, it's kind of funny. He's an impactful player. His last all-star appearance was 2016. It's been a while. At the same time, there's there's a, a part of me that really appreciates the not only the longevity and some of this is you know dude what dude we saw with Albert Pujols too but they, he has DH a, he has he has a contract he has a contract and he's going to fulfill that contract because it pays him a lot of money but Cabrera's low output in those years since was the 2017 year where he hit 249 he hasn't hit under 250 since right. oh, he's a great from player. the years of ages 35 to 40. Player. Great player, sure Hall of Famer, triple clown run. Yeah, two two MVPs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
four batting titles. He's he's, he's terrific. But, but still getting it, still getting it done. That's kind of yeah. that, that's good it, for him. impressive. And uh, so good for Miguel Cabrera. There's not much in a a very moribund Detroit season no, to watch, but no, uh, no good, good for him. Obviously, so a little nice thing to see in baseball well, too. You know, and the Rockies last night won a seven three ten inning game in kind of a weird way. Well, of course, as often as the case with the Rockies, they play another 10-inning game today. Yep. And they score a run, which isn't always enough to win. I get Not that. Right. In the top of the 10th with the right. ghost runner coming in. So they're up 6-5, bottom of the 10th. And after giving up an extra base hit that ties the game at 6, they get two men out. There's a runner on third base, and a ground ball is hit to Tilvar, who's a terrific young defensive shortstop. And of course, he throws the ball away, and they lose the game, seven to six. And so it goes for the Rockies, who are back on pace to lose 98 games now. But uh, they've got a series upcoming with the Dodgers, and I suspect by the end of that series, they will be on a 100 loss pace once again. Yeah, error on Tovar throws the uh, the game away for the Rockies. They lose 7-6, to six, an opportunity to win the series against the Brewers. That would have been maybe notable. They've actually won four out of six this year against the Brewers. Well, now they get the Dodgers. We will see. Of course, the Denver Broncos will get the Arizona Cardinals, or at least you know some manifestation of them on Friday. In the first preseason game, we'll stay on top of that. Thanks for joining us. Cody Rourke uh, joined us, of course, from Mile High Sports. To tomorrow, uh, Taylor Kilgore from Fox 31 will join us to talk about it as well. Well, thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth. He makes everything work. Thanks to you for listening with us on air, the HD radio, whether it's at MileHighSports.com, whether you're listening or watching there, or maybe the easiest, best way. Grab it all on the Mile High Sports app. It's free. You get it on a, a crystal clear audio. You can watch it on video. You can get everything you missed on all the other programs and all the great writing that Cody and the rest of our team puts together at Mile High Sports. So check it out. We'll be back tomorrow for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. Yeah.